Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Here I am in the French Alps. It's September 11th, and I've just been traveling. This is the end of the fourth day of a hiking trip that I've been taking called the Tour de Mont Blanc. Uh, we have two more days to go, and uh, right now I'm, I'm at the end of day four where walked through um, the valley of Chamonix. And this is a place where I lived 44 years ago for three months and a, a place where a lot of significant changes happened in my life. So I'm feeling really moved by being here and really grateful for all the things that happened in this place. You know, um, when I was 13, my dad took me up Mount Rainier which is a big volcano, 14,400 foot volcano in Washington state. And that's when I got turned on to climbing. And uh, shortly after that, I joined an explorer post that climbed all the volcanoes in Washington state. So that was my summer of my 14th year. And that turned me on even more. And so I became devoted to climbing. And this is something that really helped me during a very hard period of my adolescence. And so, um, from age 14 to 20, I was pretty much a dedicated um, alpine rock climbing person who sought to you know, work out uh, whenever I wasn't climbing to prepare to go climbing. I'd spend uh, my spring breaks in Yosemite and my Junes in Yosemite to get ready to go to the Bugaboos and then uh, the North Cascades, um, the Columbian ice fields up in, up in uh, you know, uh, Alberta. and. Um, a goal that I had was to just be a career climber, you know, like an extreme sports sort of climber where my um, dream was actually to go to Patagonia and to climb uh, uh, Sierra Torre and uh, some other big faces there and go to Baffin Island and to do some climbs in the Alaska range and um, as well as, of course, the Alps. And, but the Alps were more like a training ground for what I wanted to do. So, um, Anyway, I, I went through these years of just um, climbing a lot. And then um, when I went to college, that's when, you know, my life really turned more towards Jesus, um, you know, after a, a near-death experience on El Capitan Cap in Yosemite when I was 18. I, um, you know, I really, at that point, surrendered my life almost um, fully, almost fully to Jesus. And, and then um, everything sort of got you know, more seriously oriented, I guess. But still, climbing was in my bloodstream. It was in my system. I, I needed to go to Chamonix. Um, I spent two years studying history, uh, European history, and then um, with a plan of spending a year hitchhiking and taking trains and things through Europe. And uh, with the plan to go to Chamonix and to spend, you know, three months, two to three months climbing some of the really classic routes of the French Alps. So in late June or early July of 1978, I crossed over from Switzerland into the, the valley here where I am right now. Um, and I began um, this journey of faith. And I say faith because when I crossed over, I, I had no money. I'd run out of all the money that I'd planned for my uh, year-long trip, just a couple months into my trip. And, um, and anyway, there I was. Um, I'd been reading uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship, 
which is a book that if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, it's a book about the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel. And I was super inspired by that book, and I was also reading the Bible and really um, studying um, this book, Cost of Discipleship. And, and so when I came to Chamonix, and I had only friend, five French francs, which is very little. It's like maybe $5 or something like that at that time, I think. I, I thought, okay, I, I need to buy some food. So I bought some oatmeal and just a few things, and, um, and then I needed a place to stay. So I went out looking for a bridge to sleep under, but the, the, the valley, I mean, the, the river, rivers that came through were just, there were super steep banks, and there were no places under bridges. So it was raining. I went out in the woods and had a miserable night in the rain. And the next day, I just thought, oh, God, you know, what am I going to do? What does it mean to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness? And, you know, uh, I want to do that. Here I am. I'm in a situation where I could worry about what I eat, drink, or put on. You know, I've been reading Bonhoeffer's section of Cost of Discipleship on Matthew chapter 6, where it says, um, beginning verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, you know, the non-Jews, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So there I was, um, no money, except for those, uh, except I hadn't, except I'd spent the money on oatmeal and um, I was, I had nowhere to, look, to stay. And, um, but I just said to Jesus, um, look, Jesus, I want to believe this is true, that I don't need to worry about what I eat, drink, or put on, that, that you will provide for me. I want to step into this life of faith. I, um, I ask you to just provide for me and provide in a way where I don't even have to ask or make my needs known, but I can just pray to you and I will seek first your kingdom in every way that I know how. I'll keep studying the Bible and reading uh, the cost of discipleship and journaling and praying. And, um, and I just want to see that you will provide for me. So I, I give you my life and I choose to follow you. Um, and then um, the next day, it was a nicer day and I, I decided to hike up to the base of two routes that were famous climbs in the Alps, um, the north face of Les Dois and uh, the north face of Les Cours, which are big, uh, really, really famous and extremely difficult climbs at that time. They were anyway. And I went and I, um, and I holed up in a little cave because I didn't have any money for uh, um, to stay in one of these refuges. And, um, and there I um, ended up running into this Canadian guy who uh, came and we got talking and he said, hey, um, look, you know, I'm a climber and obviously you are too. And he found out all the climbs that I'd done in Yosemite and in the Alp and Cascades and Bugaboos and different places. And he said, look, I'm supposed to meet this uh, French climber who's preparing to be a guide up at the face, uh, the base of the face of uh, La Voix Suisse um, of Les Cours, which is this hard, really hard ice climb. I'm supposed to meet them, meet him here at midnight tonight. Uh, but I just don't feel comfortable doing it. But I think the guy's a trustworthy guy and he's a good climber. And why don't you go? And of course, I had no um, 
I had no connections. I didn't know how I was going to find anyone to climb with. I thought, yeah, okay. Um, and so I, I ran down the valley to get my stuff. Um, I forget where it was, but I ended up buying or pulling together all the food that I had. And, um, you know, I don't know what it was, but, um, I came back up and, um, went out with my flashlight and met this, uh, this man at the base of this uh, climb on this glacier. And I saw the little flashlight and I got to him and I said, are you Dudu? And he said, yes. And I explained who I was and um, he said, okay, I guess uh, let's climb it. And so we went up to the base of this route and I assumed he was going to lead the hardest parts. And, um, and there was a very long section of just almost vertical ice in this sort of hourglass that went up to this other big, long slope of, of, I mean, thousands of feet of, of also very steep ice and snow. And um, anyway, we got right to that point of this hourglass and he began to panic and, you know, because he was a local person and he knew all the stories about this route and had heard all about, um, you know, the accidents and how notorious it was. And I didn't have any of that and, um, in my mind. So he said, look, um, I can't climb this. I can't go first. Um, you're going to have to lead it if we're going to go. And it seemed like going down was pretty dangerous as well. So I thought, okay, well, I want to climb this climb. And even though I'd just been sitting on um, trains and hadn't climbed and wasn't really in shape um, for that, I decided to just go for it. And so I climbed up and led this up through the hardest crux of the climb. And then we were able to, to make it up to the top. And it was just this amazing experience of climbing this beautiful peak in the Alps. And that um, cemented our friendship, but it also uh, froze my left foot, which uh, it was a 24 hour climb that we did by the time we got back down. And my, my crampons were, were strapped on so tight to one of my feet and it was cold enough that I, my, my foot was completely, I couldn't feel it. So that's when I took off uh, with my friend hitchhiking for a couple of weeks to the south of France. And it was really during that period where my love for France and for the French people really, um, I guess, I became aware of it. And so um, there, following my own passion to climb and just my own interest in feeling the freedom to really do that. And then, um, you know, the, and, and doing it from perspective of, of, of faith and, and trying to seek first the kingdom of God. Um, Right now, it's kind of hard for me to think about how I was actually seeking first the kingdom, but, but in my own mind, I was, I was pursuing what, um, you know, what were my interests and, and, and I felt free to actually do this. And, and I love the mountains. I mean, here I am right now. I'm, um, at this, um, refuge, uh, the refuge de la Flagère. It's, uh, way up on a mountainside facing the Mont Blanc massive. And it's so beautiful. He's, uh, the four days that we spent hiking with my friend Jonathan Frerichs have just been phenomenal. I mean, I, I just love the wilderness. I love that Jesus took off into the wilderness where he prayed and I've been praying. And so um, anyway, I was pursuing the kingdom of God and Jesus in the every way that I knew how I, I ended up coming back. Um, Dudu um, wanted someone to, to climb with him to prepare for his guide certification. And so I came back with my foot 
uh, unthought enough for me to be able to spend another couple months climbing. But it was really during those couple months of climbing route after route that I began to see um, the emptiness of extreme sports, um, hard, you know, sort of alpine and rock climbing in the Alps. I, during the months that I was here, uh, there were over 120 deaths. And often, usually they were of very high performance climbers who would come here from Poland, from um, UK, around France, Canada, US, different places. And they would have their little window of um, maybe six weeks to climb some of the routes that they dreamed of climbing. And often uh, they'd try to force a climb in when the weather's, weather was bad or when the conditions weren't right. Um, today I talked to uh, the head of the guides service down in Chamonix and I just uh, described what I experienced 44 years ago of all those people dying and she said oh it's way worse now there are just so many more people dying and, and it has to do with the internet and Instagram and people you know wanting to get up there and, and do a YouTube of their climbs and and kind of be famous on Facebook or this or that and and she said there's so many deaths and it's just uh, it's just really she was really upset about it and so it was me just seeing all these very strong, um, you know, capable people losing their lives, uh, you know, being swept down by an avalanche or killed by a rock fall or by lightning strike or by, or by just falls. And then just uh, thinking, you know, life is so much more than this. And I had been spending all this time, all my extra time and, you know, just in prayer and reading the Bible and and just thinking, um, God was calling me also, you know, I remember being right, uh, in this, in this valley here, uh, on the edge of Mount Blanc where I am right now. And I was looking out towards Italy and towards, uh, you know, to the South and to the East and imagining, um, and feeling this call to go and to really explore the origins of, of my faith, uh, to walk through Italy and to, uh, travel across to Greece and, and to find my way to Israel. And uh, of course I didn't have any money, but um, I'd spent so far a couple of months, two or three months without any money. Uh, my friend Dudu had uh, taken me into his apartment and with his girlfriend and they were feeding me and um, I was climbing with them and they were providing for all my needs. And I was hitchhiking down to Geneva where, um, you know, another thing happened in Geneva that was just a life-changing experience for me. I'd started going out with Gracie back before I traveled to Europe. And she was writing me. She was one of the people besides my mother that was writing me faithfully. So I'd go down to the American Express office in Geneva to pick up my mail. And every time I'd go down there, um, every like two weeks, I'd hitchhike down there, there'd be a letter from Gracie. So my attraction, my love for Gracie really uh, took off while I was um, here in Chamonix. And, um, and my love for France as I um, traveled and just spent time with Dudu and got to know um, the French culture. And, um, and so really at this place 44 years ago, uh, so much of my life uh, kind of took a turn that has led to where I am right now. And I'm so, so grateful. You know, um, I was able to follow my passion and climb so many beautiful routes, but also come to the point where I just um, realized I, I needed to stop. I remember very well uh, how that happened. I was uh, set to do the north face of 
uh, the Drew, uh, this severe sort of uh, rock face that was uh, definitely on my list of, of one of the climbs that I wanted to do for my life. And um, it was, uh, I was all ready to go. I had all my stuff packed. And uh, the man who um, I was going to climb with was so excited. And then I saw the weather, the signs of the weather getting bad because uh, weather can shift very quickly here in the, in the mountains of uh, the French Alps. And I, I said, I just felt uncomfortable. I thought, you know, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable going on this route, going on this climb tomorrow. And so I told him and he just put so much pressure on me. He says, you know, you're just ruining, you know, my whole plans. Here you are, you know, I thought I could count on you and now you're bagging, bagging, backing out on me. And, you know, wow, I just can't believe it. Come on. And I just remember thinking, no, you know, forget it. I, I'm not going to do this. I know that this is dangerous. It's already a dangerous route. I'm not going to do it. And even more, I felt like I'm not going to do it with you, this guy who didn't um, seem to value just common sense and, um, and basic safety. And um, anyway, I made a choice to not do that climb. And, uh, and really, um, I, I give thanks to God that I, I didn't pursue even harder routes than what I, what I already did, which could have led to my death. The mountain environment, it's cold. It's harsh, rock, snow, ice, space between these big peaks across valleys. It really puts you in touch with your finitude and your smallness and your vulnerability. And for me, it, it causes me to cry out to God. It's like Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is the hum human one that you would be mindful of him and the sun of Adam that you would remember him. And, and it's that feeling that I, that I have. And yet, um, Psalm 8 continues, yet you made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor, right? But sometimes we need to sense that ominousness, that the bigness of the world and our smallness in order to come to that point where we cry out for a savior. I want to add something to a reflection about seeking first the kingdom and righteousness of Jesus. And, uh, you know, when I first was up in the cave and I was looking over at Le Cour and I was invited to meet this uh, French guy, Dudu, um, you know, I, I was assuming he was going to be leading the, you know, the route and the hardest pitches. I was assuming he was more experienced than I was. And so when I went up there and he, in fact, stated that he was going to be leading those hardest pitches. I, you know, I, in good faith, went with it. And then when we ended up at that vulnerable place of the hourglass where it was so steep and Dudu was, you know, really uncomfortable and felt like he couldn't do it, then I, 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 I went for it. And I, I feel like in some ways it would have been more dangerous to go down and that was probably one of the, you know, the moments in my life when I was at the limit of, you know, doing something that could have led to my death. And, uh, and yet, you know, we made it through that, you know, that trial. And then that led to this friendship with Dudu that was just beautiful and led to us being able to climb, you know, many routes that uh, I felt pretty safe on. And then in contrast, when I look at, Les Drew and this north face route, 
I'm looking at it right now. It's this huge face that just faces out over the whole valley of Chamonix, and it's ominous. And there's an, um, a whole feel of this of this valley of the Mont Blanc massive of of grandeur, and um, also of just uh, I don't know. It's it's a bit intimidating. It's ominous. And when I look at that, and then I think of the the guy that I'd agreed to climb that uh, north face route with. And, um, you know, when he refused to postpone or cancel that climb based on my knowledge of the weather um, that was moving in being, you know, being really treacherous weather, um, I really feel like that's the moment when I, when I made a decision and moved away from being an extreme climber and, um, and going against the pressure, you know, the, the peer pressure of that moment. I think um, when I look back, I, I really believe that was a, a critical moment for me—a moment of faith where I was, I was seeking the kingdom, and I wasn't putting my life at risk, and uh, wasn't calling that faith, you know, some something that was folly. So I think it's critical that we learn how to see the hand of God in our lives, even um, even in situations or, or activities that we do that aren't directly kingdom of God activities. I know that for me, climbing was. A place where I met with God, probably more than I experienced God coming to me inside of the church. In fact, my real conversion happened up on El Cap, El Capitan, up on a ledge during a lightning storm and a snowstorm. And and God has really met me consistently. So for me to seek first the kingdom did involve going into nature, and it still involves um, getting out into the wilderness where. Um, for me, that's a place where I'm able to pray and I'm able to um, find refreshment in God's presence. And, um, and so all of us need to find those ways that work for each of us, don't we? And um, here I am 44 years later. Um, I was 20 back then, now I'm 64. And I'm so grateful to have married Gracie, to have uh, my three children, Isaac, Luke, and Anna. Um, I'm so grateful for everything that happened after uh, leaving Chamonix, you know, traveling, uh, walking through Italy, God providing for me, um, some money becoming available through selling of my car so that I had enough to fly to Tel Aviv and, um, and just get there with no money. And then uh, being admitted into a kibbutz called an Ulpan, where you study Hebrew half day and work half day. And it was there that I met a, a Cuban Jew named Jaime who um, educated me about um, some of the, the struggles, the liberation struggles in Latin America. And, um, and we traveled and hitchhiked through uh, Israel together and read the Bible together. And he hadn't believed in God prior to our traveling and then became a believer in God. And uh, we made a big cairn, built a cairn in the Sinai Peninsula um, and uh, dedicated it to our search for truth and then climb Mount Sinai together. And, and at the end of his trip, you know, he said, look, Bob, um, this has been such a great trip and uh, I have some money left over that my father gave me for this whole um, pilgrimage that I've been on as a Jew, Jewish young man, and I wanna give you the rest of the money. Well, guess what? It was exactly what I needed to get to Geneva. And so I flew to Geneva and uh, went up to Labrie Fellowship um, where the study center where I was, I had plans to be for three months. And the first 
speaker that was there the week that I arrived was uh, David Rawlings, who was uh, who had been a British labor organizer, a Marxist who had become a Christian, and he was giving talks on Latin American liberation theology, which were apparently supposed to be a critique of the, of liberation theology, but ended up being such a fair-minded uh, presentation of Latin American theology, Latin American liberation theology, that I, I remember my heart just being on fire, just thinking, wow, this is so relevant, and I was so drawn. Um, and the main message that I heard there in, um, in Switzerland was, um, you know, that it was this critique of these Latin American liberation theologians of Western Christians, and saying, you know, you Western Christians, you come with what you call the gospel, but it's something that you develop in places of privilege and, and wealth and, you know, and intellectual, uh, intellectualism and where you're asking questions that the poor and the working class and the oppressed of the Latin American continent aren't asking. And so why don't you um, set aside all that learning and just come and humble yourself and, and, and change context, you know, be born from below through uh, submerging yourself in the life of the oppressed and the poor. I mean, that's what I remember hearing. And that was the call that I felt. And so I left, um, you know, Switzerland and made my way back home and uh, changed my major, Latin American studies, and ended up um, continuing my relationship with Gracie and, and then planned to travel for a year through Latin America. But after two months, I ended up calling Gracie and asking her to marry me. And that was just a couple of years, like a year and a half after um, my life changed here in Chamonix. And we ended up getting married and in January of 1981, got married and then traveled together through Latin America. And that led us to move to Honduras in um, June of 1982. And that's when Tierra started 40 years ago. So here I am, um, pretty much the 40th anniversary of, of Tierra starting. I'm back um, in front of Mont Blanc, um, giving thanks to God for protecting me for setting me on this adventure of my of my life that has led to um, you know so much uh, so many great experiences and and I hope fruit and um, and I and I hope much more fruit um, and having three beloved children Isaac Luke and Anna and you know being married for 41 years now and I'm just so grateful to be alive and that I didn't die being hit by a rock or a being swept away by an avalanche, but God has spared me and protected me on this journey. And I've been living um, by faith uh, all these years, trusting that God would provide and God has provided. And so I just want to end with the text that I began with, um, but beginning it a little bit earlier. Um, Therefore, I tell you, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I just want to encourage you to do that, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and to pray about what that looks like, and to trust that God has um, a secure future for you that will, that is um, the life of faith, which feels insecure at times and is, but God is a faithful God who provides for us and will bless us and will guide us into a life of adventure that I think far surpasses, um, you know, all the extreme sports adventures that one could seek after. And, um, and I believe that, that life following Jesus brings a lot more joy and satisfaction and likely uh, greater longevity, although that's not always the case <laughs> because life following Jesus can also be very dangerous. But God is good and he loves us and he loves you and he wants to give you um, a life where you can experience the abundant life. So go for it.